Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Trinity Community Church on Zoom. So glad that you guys are here this morning to worship together. Um, so happy that it's the Christmas season. Um, comes with a lot of joy and peace and um, remembrance. And so I'm praying this morning that that's what you're experiencing. Um, if you're not, though, um, I do pray that this morning as we gather together that God would speak to your heart and uh, impart his peace to you, um, remind you of his care for you and his love for you, and, um, and do that for all of us. Um, as we begin this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, we're going to read one of the prayers from the Puritan uh, uh, Valley of Vision prayer collection, and this is the Christmas one. And um, so we're just going to read this together. I'll lead us in the reading, and then um, we'll go right into our worship from there. So, um, Jen, if you'll pop that up on the screen, we'll start with that. Let's read together. O source of all good, what shall I render to you for the gift of gifts, your own dear son? Herein is wonder of wonders. He came below to raise me above, was born like me, that I might become like him. Herein is love. When I cannot rise to him, he draws near on wings of grace to raise me to himself. Herein is power. When deity and humanity were infinitely apart, he united them in dissoluble unity, the uncreate and the created. Herein is wisdom. When I was undone, with no will to return to him and no intellect to devise recovery, he came, God incarnate, to save me to the uttermost as man to die my death to shed satisfying blood on my behalf, to work out a perfect righteousness for me. O oh God, take me in spirit to the watchful shepherds and enlarge my mind. Let me hear good tidings of great joy and hearing believe, rejoice, praise, adore. My conscience bathed in an ocean of repose my eyes uplifted to reconcile to a reconciled father. Place me with ox, donkey, camel, goat, to look with them upon my Redeemer's face, and in him account myself delivered from sin. Let me with Simeon clasp the newborn child to my heart, embrace him with undying faith, exalting that he is mine, and I am his. In him you have given me so much that heaven can give no more. Let's sing together. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. 
It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind for all your goodness I will keep on singing ten thousand reasons for my heart to find bless the Lord oh my soul oh my soul worship his holy Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy from Genesis 17. It says, Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you, sh you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, 
but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for um, the book of Romans. We thank you for the lessons that we are being taught. Um, We thank you, Lord, that we are learning that we were brought into your family through Jesus Christ. Lord, that we are part of that promise to Abram, to Abraham, Lord, the father of nations. And because of Jesus Christ, the Gentiles are brought into that promise, Lord, and we are part of that. And so, Lord, as we uh, celebrate Christmas in our homes and as we have Romans and Christmas, these things colliding together, may that bring a new light for us to the Christmas story, Lord. May we look at the coming of Jesus Christ as our entrance into your family. Lord, we have no business being here but for your love and but for your mercy towards us. And so, Lord, we rejoice as Abraham rejoiced in your promises to us. And we thank you that through the Christmas story and then following that story through to Christ's death and to his resurrection, Lord, that we are brought into your family and we can come before your throne without fear because of what Jesus has done for us. So, Lord, as we celebrate Christmas and as we worship together this morning, would you bring these things together in our minds and in our hearts? Would you give us great joy and great peace because of what you have done? our great and merciful God. It's in the name of our Savior we pray. Amen. In the first light of a new day No one knew he had Things continued as they had been While a newborn softly cried But the heavens wrapped in wonder Knew the meaning of his birth And in the weakness of a baby They knew God had come to earth As his mother held him closely It was hard to understand That her baby, not yet speaking Was the word of God to man He would tell them of his kingdom but their hearts would not believe they would hate him and in anger they would nail him to a tree but the sadness would be broken 
as the song of life arose and the firstborn of creation would ascend and take his throne he had left it to redeem us but before his life began he knew he'd come back not as a baby but as the lord of every They're singing on the morning of his birth. But how much greater will their song be when he comes again to earth? Hear the angels as they're singing on the morning of his birth. But how much It's only by your blood 
And it's only through your mercy, Lord, I come. Let's sing it out. I bring an offering of worship to my King. No one on earth deserves the praises that I sing. But Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh, Lord, I bring an offering to you. Lord, we raise our voices where we're at. Part of our offering of worship to you this morning is singing using the gifts that you've given us, using the voices that you have given us because you created us to worship you. And so we sing out to you now. I bring an offering. I bring an offering worship to my King. No one on earth deserves praises that I sing. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh Lord, I bring an offering to you. Oh Lord, I bring an offering to you. Oh Lord, I bring an offering to you. I bring an offering, Lord, to you. city stood a lowly cattle shed where a mother laid her baby in a manger bed Mary was that mother mine Jesus Christ her little child Emmanuel the promise kept he's the longing of my heart God in flesh through this child all earth is blessed Emmanuel he came down to earth from heaven who is God and Lord of all? And his shelter was a stable, his cradle was a star. With the poor, the scorn, the lowly, lived on earth our Savior, holy Emmanuel. The promise kept he's the longing of my heart God in flesh through this child all earth is blessed he man you well our answered prayer our 
faith's reward Redemption's near Redemption's here Emmanuel The promise kept He's the longing of my heart God in flesh Through this child All earth is blessed Emmanuel We will rejoice We will worship you Our Savior and our Lord We will join creation's voice It's the longing of my heart, he's the longing of my heart, through this child all earth is blessed, through this child, through this child all earth is blessed, through this child all earth is blessed, We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you that we are blessed through your Son. Jesus, we thank you for becoming a man, for dying for us, for rising again. In your name we pray. Amen. Scripture reading this morning is out of Romans chapter 11, verses 30 through 36. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Thanks, Aaron. Um, Let me open us in a word of prayer. Lord, from you, through you, and to you are all things. What a glorious truth. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd grant us humility to believe that to be true, to understand our place in the universe, and to walk humbly before our God. Uh, Father, pray for uh, those who are currently suffering with um, COVID, and um, the numbers in LA County are staggering. Uh, Father, I pray for our hospital workers, doctors, nurses, um, janitors, everybody involved in that. Lord, would you give give them an extra measure of grace, uh, give them an extra measure of stamina that they might be able to attend to the people who are in their care. And Father, for those who are uh, hospitalized with this disease, we pray that you would um, be with them to help them uh, to breathe. Uh, Father, that you would keep their hearts Um, going as they should, and that you would bring them uh, swift relief. 
And Lord, in the middle of all of that, we just pray that you would be glorified, that your name would be known uh, despite the pain, despite the suffering. Um, Lord, for those who have gotten it and have mild symptoms, I pray, Lord, that uh, they would give you praise that you spared them. And for those of us who haven't gotten it, uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your continued goodness. So help those who, who need it. And Lord, I pray that um, your purpose in this disease would come to pass, that, uh, that America might be awakened from her rebellious slumbers and, uh, and might be drawn back to you. And uh, Father, I want to pray for, uh, for Cindy um, Sadler and um, her time in the hospital. Uh, Father, um, I pray that the doctors would diagnose and understand the problem swiftly and uh, address it well, Lord, that uh, antibiotics would work to help her recover her health. And uh, Father, have mercy on her. Father, I pray for Joanne, who's, um, who, who is very worried about her daughter. Lord, would you be the God of comfort to her and to, um, to help her to um, hold her daughter up in prayer to you. And Father, would you bring her healing and recovery. And Lord, now as we look to uh, your word, we, we pray that you would open our eyes and hearts, our minds and my mouth as we study your word. Lord, would you show yourself to be glorious? Help us to understand and to believe. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So um, I did that same thing where I backed up a couple of verses because really uh, 30 through 32 um, are kind of the summary statement for what Paul has been saying, uh, especially 9 through 11, but through the entire epistle, it's kind of his, his summary statement kind of brings it all together. And so we'll look at that. And then the second part is that just outburst of praise. And uh, so we'll, we'll um, see what leads to that, what takes us to that place. And so um, this really is that concluding thought to that previous section. And it, it interrupts a, a paragraph, but I thought it was the best way to capture what, uh, what that had to say. Um, in that section 30 through 32, two words come up quite often, uh, disobedient and mercy. And those two go very tightly together. So what he says actually in verse 32 kind of sums it up. So what he says at the beginning is, um, for just as you, you Gentiles were once disobedient, but have now gotten mercy from God. Uh, because of their disobedience, that's the, the Jews who don't believe. Uh, so too, now that they're disobedient, maybe they'll receive mercy. And remember, Paul had said previously, it's his heart's desire that, that some of them might be saved, uh, that his kinsmen might come to know the Lord. And so that's his hope. And so what he's doing is he says, you know, you were disobedient for a period, now you've received mercy. Maybe in their disobedience, they will receive some of the mercy that you're being uh, given. And then 32 is where he kind of sums up that, that thought. He says, for God has consigned all to disobedience. Um, God has consigned all to disobedience. The word consigned there, um, the, the King James translates it as uh, uh, shut up or enclosed. Uh, the same word is used in Galatians 3.22, where it says, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. So the idea of, uh, of consigning all to disobedience is kind of like, uh, putting them in a net. In, in Luke 5, 6, that's what the word is used to explain is this big catch of fish is, is caught up in this net. Um, so it says that, that God has consigned all to disobedience. So what I want to do is look at first how he did it, and then we'll look at why he did it, uh, because this is central to Paul's gospel. So how did he do it? 
Well, for the Jews, that's pretty obvious. Um, the Jews had the law of God. They had the, the tabernacle worship. They had all of those things. And so for them to be caught up or, or uh, fenced in by disobedience, they had all these rules and they didn't follow them. Because remember what it said in nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 31, Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. So they're caught up in disobedience because they had the law. Here's all God's rules. And instead of using it correctly, which is based on faith, they pursued it as if it was by works. And so that catches them up in their disobedience. They're, they're, they're kind of netted by it. Well, if the Jews had special revelation, if they had prophets coming to them, if they had Moses teaching them, and that captured them in disobedience, if they refused to obey, how are the Gentiles captured? Well, Paul has been talking about this right from the beginning of the letter. So uh, chapter 1, verse, beginning in verse 19, remember he said, What can be known about God is plain to them, that is the Gentiles, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So right off the bat, you say the, the Gentiles are caught up in, in disobedience because nature itself proclaims that God exists and it tells them what he's like, that he is a God of mercy and justice, that um, that there is a time of birth and life, but a time of death as well. So the creation tells them all these things. And so what Paul says is they don't have an excuse. They are caught up in sin without excuse. But don't forget that we also are part of creation. He created us. And so there's something about us individually or personally that, that testify to who God is. And that's what Paul says in um, chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. They, that's the Gentiles, show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. So we have creation screaming at us, saying that there is a God, this isn't just a cosmic mistake, and then we have our own internal uh, witness, our own uh, conscience is bearing witness to us that there is a morality, that God has, has something in, in, uh, that is right and he has something that is wrong. And so in that way, we're all caught up in disobedience because we have these witnesses and we don't do them. So as Paul continues that thought, he, he brings it back to what he says here, which is God has consigned all to disobedience. Uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. We've already charged that all, both Jew and Greek, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. So that's where Paul kind of draws that all together. He's, he's laid this accusation against the Gentiles, but also the Jews are caught up in that too. And so that's why in, in um, 3.23, he says, all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all of creation then is, like he's saying here, is caught up in disobedience. They're all trapped in that. And, and the problem is, I think sometimes we tend to think that people who are caught up in sin, who are caught up in disobedience, who are 
uh, worthless, who are not righteous and all that, are just the really bad people. Um, not, not nice folks like us. We wouldn't be like that. Well, this week I saw a video that really brought this whole thing home for me. Um, there's a man on, on YouTube na named uh, Mark Robber. And um, Mark is, he used to be an engineer with NASA and he was an engineer with Apple. And so now he has an extremely successful YouTube channel uh, where he just is an engineer. So he, he designs things, he builds things and, and he records these videos. He also has some lessons that he teaches. Uh, one of the coolest ones he did was he filled a swimming pool with jello and swam in it. So, you know, fun things like that. Well, a few years ago, he had a package stolen off his porch and he had a security camera video of the person taking it and the police said there was nothing they could do. So being an engineer, he overthought it, over-designed it, over-engineered it and came up with a solution. He came up with a package that when they opened the box, it would spray super fine glitter all over the place. And it had a little uh, squirt gun in it that would squirt out what he called fart spray and make the house smell really bad. He also had four cell phones in there recording the whole thing and transmitting it so he could watch what was happening in, in real time. And so uh, this year is uh, Glitter Bomb 3.0. And the video shows what happens when people steal it. And, and I'm telling you, when you watch the video, the people who steal these boxes are not the kind of folks that you would think they would be. Um, some of them are. For example, one of the boxes he put in a car and left the car parked on the street. And somebody broke the window, stole the box, and then drove around the city of San Francisco. Um, one of his friends followed the car. So if they chucked the box out the window, they could recover it because it's got four cell phones in it. Um, but the people in the car noticed, since they could listen on the cell phones, they noticed that somebody was following them. And one of the guys in the car says, it's okay, I have a gun in the car. So the people following them immediately stopped. When they finally got around to opening the box, when they finally opened it up and the glitter sprayed and the sirens went off, the last thing you hear is four pops from that gun as they shot the box. And you figure, now that's the kind of person who is, who is shut up in disobedience. That's the kind of person that you would expect to be a thief is you know, these criminal types, right? They're, they're you know, carrying guns, they're out looking for trouble. But that wasn't the only kind of person on that video. The one that even Mark said, I was really surprised at the people that stole uh, the box was there was a, a they put one box at a cluster, one of those cluster mailboxes. They set it out there and they had cameras set up to see who, who would take the box. Well, while that was happening, a bunch of police roll up and they arrest the man who lives at, right near that cluster box. So as they're arresting the guy and putting him in the car, this young teenage boy walks over and steals the box and walks past all these cops having just stole this box, this package. And he takes it home. And the chilling part was when he brought it home to his mom and, and they're talking. This was not outrageous people. It sounded like a mom coaching her son on how to do homework. And it was just chilling. And, and at one point he, he gives his mom the package and he says, it feels good. And she said, what does? And he goes, stealing. And she responded, stop, don't brag about it, nothing. So she knew in her heart that this was wrong. And yet when he said, well, can I have the earbuds? She said, no, they're my Christmas present. And it was just so sad to hear a, a, a mother and a child talking through and rationalizing the stealing of this package. So when, when it says that God has consigned all to disobedience, 
it means all, everybody. We all have that tendency. We all have that bent towards that. So in 1 John 1.8, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We all have that tendency to sin. We are all bent in that direction. And I know we read um, a Valley of Vision uh, prayer this morning. I want to read another one because I think it touches on and it kind of shows the, the depths of being trapped in disobedience. Oh, Lord, my every sense, member, faculty, affection is a snare to me. I can scarcely open my eyes, but I envy those above me or despise those below. I covet the honor and riches of the mighty and am proud and unmerciful to the rags of others. If I behold beauty, it is a bait to lust or see deformity, it stirs up loathing and disdain. How soon do slanders, vain jokes, cruel speech creep into my heart? Am I handsome? What a fuel for pride. Am I deformed? What an occasion for complaining. Am I gifted? How I lust for applause. Am I learned? How I despise, or am I unlearned? How I despise what I lack. Am I in authority? How prone am I to abuse that trust? Make my will my law, ignore other needs, others' needs, serve my own interests and purpose. Am I inferior? How much I begrudge others' preeminence. Am I rich? How exalted I become. That's the, the nature of this fall. Remember Romans chapter 5, that sin came in through one man, and what Paul said is it came in through Adam, and then it spread to all men, to everybody. We all have that bent towards disobedience. God has consigned all to disobedience. So is there anybody that that all would exclude? We're all trapped in that. We're all heading in that direction. So this, this sinfulness is not what amazes Paul, though, and, and nor should it amaze us. We should be understanding that this is the nature of sin as it creeps in everywhere. But the question is, why did God shut up everybody under sin? What was his purpose in doing that? Is he just cruel? He delights in watching people go into hell? No, he, he, what Paul says is he has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So God has consigned everybody to disobedience. Remember when he said, why was the law introduced? It wasn't introduced in order to constrain sin. It wasn't introduced until in order to make sin less. It was introduced, the law was, in order to make sin sinful. In order to make sin obvious, to paint it large with big, bold letters. This is sin. This is the price of sin. So when it says that God consigned all the disobedience, he did that in order that he may have mercy on all. So it's not his desire to, to just zap people. Ezekiel 18.23, he says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? So as God beholds all of humanity and, and all are, are constrained under sin, he isn't sitting there going, this is exactly the way it should be. This is perfect. I'm going to zap them all. What he's doing is he's saying, I want that they would turn. Would you please open your eyes and learn? And so since we won't, since we don't, he has mercy. You don't have mercy on somebody who deserves it. 
if they deserve it, you pay them. Um, you have mercy on somebody who is incapable of doing something, someone who doesn't necessarily deserve to have mercy shown to them, someone who is in a dire strait and can do nothing about it, you extend mercy to them. So it's God's desire to have mercy on all. So remember what Paul said that God has a purpose. He has a reason. So his reason in, in constraining everybody under sin is so that he may have mercy on all. And what was his purpose? What he said earlier was in, in chapter 9, verse 11, he said that God's purpose in election might stand. So those who he sends mercy to are his elect, and his purpose in, in election might stand. What was his purpose in election? We saw that in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose. There's God's purpose. Purpose in election, he predestined according to his purpose, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of the glory of his grace. His purpose in predestination is so that we might be to the praise of the glory of his grace. His purpose in election is that he might show grace and receive great glory. So that's what he says when he says that he wants to extend mercy on all. Now, all always means all. The question isn't, does all mean all? The question is, what all does all mean? Does that make sense? Okay, somebody explain it to me later. What's going on is he says, all have been constrained under disobedience so that he may have mercy to all. So if all people are guilty of sin, does that mean that he extends mercy to everybody? In other words, is everybody saved? Well, he extends mercy to everybody in a general sense because they're not obliterated the first time they sin. But all doesn't mean all in the sense of everyone. You have to look in the context. In the immediate context of have mercy on all, he has used the words you. Um, you were disobedient. They may receive mercy through your, um, your mercy. You is the Gentiles. They or them is the Jews. So what he's saying is all kinds of people. He's going to have mercy on all different types of people. He, he's, going to, he's going to help everybody, um, not each individual human being, but all different types of people. It's salvation for everyone who believes. This is his gospel, isn't it? Remember what his, his statement was in his beginning, uh, Romans 1.16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. So this is the nature. This is the heart of his gospel. This is what he's been preaching is everybody needs to be saved. Everybody. And the gospel then is God's power to do what he wants to do, which is to extend mercy. So his gospel is going to extend mercy. And what have we heard over and over again in the first few chapters? Justification is by faith alone. It is God's salvation for everyone who believes. So that's who he will extend mercy to, and that everyone is not every single Jew. It's not every single Gentile. It's all different types of people, all different people who need to be saved, can be saved by the gospel. That's why in 916, he says, it depends not on human will exertion, but on God who has mercy. So this is God's desire. This is God's work. He has mercy. So he's bound everybody up under sin, so that he could have mercy. And it depends not on what everybody else thinks. It depends on him. 
He didn't create disobedience. He didn't create sin. Because remember what, what it said in, in Romans 5, beginning of verse 12, is one man sinned and, and death came into the world and spread to all men. So God is not the author of that disobedience, but he's not overwhelmed by it either. He's not like frustrated. And where did that come from? Adam is responsible for his sin. He brings sin into the world. We're responsible for our sin, but God can have a purpose in that. He can have a reason for allowing that for a certain period of time. So it's really important to remember how that Valley of Vision um, prayer ends. Um, it doesn't end with, gee, we all stink. It ends with this. Yet what can you expect of dust but folly, of corruption but defilement? Keep me ever mindful of my natural state, but let me not forget my heavenly title of the grace that can deal with every sin. So that's capturing that idea. We are all that guilty. We are all that stained, but God has had mercy. And so he extends that to us. He brings that to us. So that really is the encapsulation, not just of chapters 9 through 11. It really has been this first portion of the, the book of Romans. It has been what Paul has been teaching, which is we all need to be saved. Salvation comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is the power of God for salvation. And so he sums that up in, in that statement 30 through 32. So then what's his response? How do you respond to something like that? Well, the appropriate response is worship. It's praise. And so verse 33, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. Paul steps back and he looks at all that he's just taught us. And he, he looks at God and he says, this is the most amazing thing. I can't understand all of this. It, it's the depth of his riches. And his riches are not just money or possessions. In the, in the case of God, since he owns everything, and I mean literally everything, the, the depths of his riches are the depths of his goodness, the depths of his kindness, his mercy, his grace extended to everybody, the depths of that, the depths of his wisdom. The, the wisdom of God is this plan that he's put into motion, that he was not surprised or overwhelmed by Adam's sin, but this was part of his plan, and he would bring it to fruition. He would bring it to his appointed ends. It's the best way for things to be because this is bringing us to God's appointed purpose, the depths of the, that kind of wisdom, and then the depths of his knowledge. Well, to carry this off, to, to achieve this plan, his knowledge must be complete. So God knows all things. He knows everything, not just the, the free decisions that his creatures will make. Um, we, we choose what we're going to do. We do it. And he knows exhaustively what we're going to do. He knows that because he knows all the way down to every single atom in the universe, what it's going to do, where it is, what it's been, its history, its future, its past, everything. His knowledge is so deep. He knows all. That's why we say he is omniscient. He knows everything because he knows everything. He can tell exactly how everything is going to go. He will plan it out according to his purpose. Oh, the depths of the riches, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his wisdom, this divine plan that he's initiated, and his knowledge, his understanding of how everything fits together, how it all works. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable are his ways. We can't possibly know to the ultimate depth everything that he is doing 
and planning. It, it's unsearchable. We can't go to the bottom of it. Now, that does not mean we don't know what he's doing or, or how he's doing it. Paul has just spent 11 chapters telling us exactly what God is up to and how he's achieving these things. But what he's saying is, when it comes to all the intimate details, all the way down, all the ins and outs of it, we won't understand all of that. So Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So what he's saying is, there are things that God has not revealed. There are parts of his plan, his nature, his person that he just hasn't revealed. He hasn't shown us what they are. But what he has given us, he's given to us so that we can live the way that we're supposed to. He's given us enough that we can do it. So in the law, he, he captures everybody under disobedience. But in the gospel, he brings salvation to his people too. What's hidden is hidden. We can't know it. But what he's given us is enough to keep us really busy for a very long time understanding how unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. That's the majesty. That's the glory of this God of what he's doing. So God doesn't tell us everything, but what he, he does tell us is exactly what we need to know. So the next verse, verse 34, he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Who, who has been his counselor? So since his, his judgments and his, his uh, ways are so deep, since his knowledge is unsearchable, who's going to counsel him? Who's going to stand up and tell him how things should be? We don't have all knowledge, and the knowledge that we do have is stained by sin, and we are not going to go to God and say, this is how you ought to do it. Well, I wish that were true. The problem is there's plenty of people who line up to tell God exactly how he should do it. Um, Bertrand Russell uh, turn of the century, mathematician, logistician, genius, just, you know, he could do all kinds of stuff. He was uh, uh, one of the first angry atheists. Um, and he, he was asked, what would happen if you die and you go to heaven? And God said, why didn't you believe me? And Russell said, I would simply look at him and say, not enough evidence. This is not enough evidence. So he, he's determined that He's going to counsel God and tell him what God has done wrong in revealing himself. There's just simply not enough evidence for me to believe. More contemporary, Stephen Fry, he's a British actor, comedian, um, uh, speaker. Um, he was asking a similar question. It, what would happen, Stephen, if you got to heaven, if you died and went to heaven and you found out that God was there? And Fry's response was not, not enough evidence. His response was, how dare you, sir? How dare you? And he goes off about how could God, this God who could change these things, allow suffering on such a huge scale and children to die of cancer. And how dare you? And just really angry at him. There was a song in the 1980s by a group called XTC called Dear God. And it was really the atheist manifesto. The song ends this way. I won't believe in heaven or hell, no saints, no sinner, no devil as well, no pearly gates, no thorny crown. You're always letting us humans down. The wars you bring, the babes you drown, those lost at sea and never found. As it's the same, the whole world round, the hurt I see helps to compound. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is just somebody's unholy hoax. And if you're up there, you'll perceive that here's my heart upon my sleeve. If there's one thing I don't believe in, it's you. And so what XTC wrote was, how can God be if 
people drown, if, if babies die, if all of this stuff. So the line of people who have lined up to give God counsel is actually pretty long. I'm sure you've met people who are, when you share about God, they get angry because how can there be so much suffering in the world if he's such a good God? And no, 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 no. The problem is, what Paul said is, who, who can counsel him? Who can tell him what to do? Here's the thing is, God's knowledge is bottomless. He knows everything, all the things that are going on. We know only a portion of what's going on only during this little portion of the, the world's existence called our life. We don't have the depth of understanding of everything that is happening. And so we're going to go with sin-stained minds who, who misinterpret what we're looking at to begin with, see a tiny portion of the picture and tell God, you're wrong for doing that. Let me tell you how you should do it. That's, that's pride. That is hubris of the, the biggest degree to think that we're going to tell God how he should run things. What we should tell God is we're not happy about this. It's really bad that, that Cindy is as sick as she is. She's in the hospital. Um, she's got a raging infection. She's hopefully going to pull through. Hopefully the doctors will be able to treat her. But we go to him in prayer and say, Lord, we're not happy about this. We don't want it to be that way. Would you please save her? But we don't go to him and say, how dare you? Who do you think you are? We're not going to counsel him. We're not going to tell him what to do because of what Paul has just said. He knows all of these things. He knows it better than we do. The problem is we're assuming, or not we, but Bertrand Russell, Stephen Fry, XTC, all these other people who line up to counsel God, they're assuming that since they can't understand the purpose in it, there must not be purpose. There can't be purpose. This, this child has gotten this terrible cancer and has died. How dare you, God? And they can't see who that child might have grown up to be or why it was that way or what that impact had on people around that child or the world or something. They just, we just can't see all of those things. And so we're called to believe that God is working all of these things together on a purpose for a reason. And it's hard. It's difficult. It's not going to be easy. Remember Romans 8, 28, God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There are plenty of Christians who would say, who would you look at and say, that is not good. Their situation is not a good situation. There are Christians in some countries who are punished, who are persecuted, who are arrested, who are thrown in, in terrible jails. There were a handful of Christians who had their throats slit on the beach recently within the past, past few years. We can look at those things and say, those are evil and they shouldn't happen. But God can say, but I'm working all of those things together for good, for those people who are called, who love me and are called according to my purpose. So who's going to line up and counsel God? Who's going to line up and tell God what he's doing right and wrong? Plenty of people, but they're going to be embarrassed because they won't have the whole picture. They can't understand it all. So then the next thing that Paul says is, or who has given him that he may be repaid? So who is going to offer to God something so that God owes them. That's the, the line of thinking when, when you ask somebody, if you get to heaven and God says, why should I let you in? What would you tell them? And the answer is, well, look at all the good I've done. You know, it outweighs my bad. What you're trying to do there is you're trying to put God in your debt. You're trying to make it so he owes you. Lord, I did these good things. Therefore, you owe me access to heaven. 
And, and you can't, you can't be put in God's debt because all those good things you did are tainted by all the bad things you've done. And we just covered that. We just went through that. Everybody is consigned under disobedience. So who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? When, when Israel would bring a lamb in and sacrifice it on the altar and, and burn it up and offer it to God, God said, well, I created that. That's my lamb to begin with. So it's not like doing this puts, you in, puts God in your debt. We can't make God our debtor. We can't say, you owe me for these things because he owns everything. He created it all. In the beginning, there was nothing. And then God said, let there be, and there was. So it all belongs to him. We, we can't make him our debtor. We can't make him repay us for these things. That's why it has to be mercy. It has to be grace. It has to be based on that because there is nothing. If, if we were to suppose that we were going to offer something to God to make us worthy, there is nothing we can offer him to make us worthy because it's all his anyway, even us, even ourselves. So he, he can't be counseled because we don't know everything, and he can't be made our debtor because we don't own anything. We give back to him a small portion of what he's given to us. And so he ends this with, for through, for, I'm sorry, for from him and through him and to him are all things. So from him are all things. Like I said, there was nothing and he spoke it into existence and there it is. So are you going to give it back to him? He, are, he owns it. From him are all things. Through him are all things. Through him, I, I think maybe the best way to understand that might be his purposes, his, his plan for the world, his working things out across time and history. They're through him. He's causing them to happen. And then in the end, they are to him. They are for the praise of the glory of his grace. That, that's what it says in Colossians is that Jesus created all things and all things were created for him. They're, they're to his end. They are to his purpose. So as we go along on the ride, we get to enjoy these things, but ultimately they are to show us not the things, but the giver, not to delight in the stuff that he's given us, but to delight in the giver. And that's the, the perennial message of Christmas is don't open your present, throw the wrapping in your parents' face, and then walk away and never say another word to them. The gift is an expression of love. Tell the parents you love them. God has given you all of these things. That's an expression of his, his goodness to you. And so from him, through him, and to him are all things, everything, including yourself. And so in the end, Paul says, to him be glory forever. Amen. God's purpose and election is ultimately his glory. And his glory is all of his attributes, all of his manifestation of his wonderfulness, his, his riches that are bottomless, and our delight in them. Our saying, this is right and this is good. So when he looks back across all of his gospel and he sees that all have sinned and fallen short, when he sees that justification is by faith alone, it's not based on any works that we do, when he sees that both Jew and Gentile are in need of salvation, when he looks at what, who are God's people and what has God done, God has made his people to be people who trust him and who love him and who believe him. That's the olive tree. His response is, to him be glory forever. His purpose has been realized. It has come. And one of the things I think we have to remember in this, and this is really important at Christmas time, is God is not doing this at arm's length. God is not absent from this process of extending mercy. He's not doing it from heaven, dropping things in. God himself, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh, became a full human being, 
so that he could do this. What does his mercy look like? His mercy looks like an infant in a manger who is by the exertion of his will holding the universe together. His mercy looks like a young boy going to the temple and asking questions that are blowing people's minds. His mercy looks like a 30-year-old man suffering unjustly on a cross, dying for the sins of his people, and then rising again. And that's God come to us. That's, that's Emmanuel, God with us. God does these things not from a distance, but ultimately personally. Remember the illustration last week of the, the olive tree? Its roots sink deep into the earth. It happens in reality on this earth, in this dust. And that's how God brings his mercy to us. So in the end, we should, with Paul, say the same thing. To him be glory forever. Amen. The proper response to all of the theology that we've learned in chapters 1 through 11 is worship. It is to say, Lord, that's amazing. I would have never thought of that. I certainly don't deserve it. That you bestow it on me is beyond measure. Praise you. Worship you. And so this is really bringing to the close the doctrinal section of the book. Um, not always, but often Paul will write, and the first portion is doctrine, and the second point is application. Um, and those aren't siloed because a lot of times there's application in the doctrine and doctrine in the application, but generally speaking. And so where we're at now in the book of Romans is we're really bringing to a close the primarily doctrinal section of the book. Chapter 12 then begins with, I appeal you to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, since all of this is true, since all of this is what God has done, this is what you should do. This is how you should respond. And so isn't it, isn't it appropriate that standing between those two sections is this doxology, this, this prayer of praise to him? We, we worship and then we go on and say, now, how should that affect our lives? And so that's where we'll go next week as we'll start in the quote unquote practical section. Um, but we have to remember all that's come before. It, it's really important to keep that all together. So with that, let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you that even though you've consigned us to disobedience, Lord, your purpose in that was to show us mercy. And so, Lord, thank you for the mercy that you extend, the mercy that you've extended in the baby in the manger, the mercy you extend with the man on the cross, the mercy you extend with the disciples looking into an empty tomb, and the mercy you extend by her, your Holy Spirit dwelling in your people. So, Lord, thank you for those things. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the miracle, the unimaginable miracle of the incarnation, that you would come and dwell with us is more than we could hope. And yet, Lord, it was according to your perfect wisdom. How unsearchable your judgments, how inscrutable your ways, and how glorious all of them are. Lord, be glorified. This year has been really weird, a lot of craziness going on. Lord, would you show your glory in your church? I pray that you would be sanctifying us, that you would be drawing us to yourself, that you would be showing us the way so that you might extend through us mercy to more and more people. And we ask this in Christ's name for his glory, for your glory, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Tim. What an encouraging message. From him, through him, to him. Um, worship is the response. Let's worship him together. Praise the Lord. 
in his sanctuary praise the lord in heights above praise the lord for his mighty wonders let all that have breath praise the lord hallelujah to our king to you we raise our voice and sing you are great god in power you are good in all your ways exalted high above the heavens lord your name alone we creatures moon and stars let all that have breath praise the lord the kings of earth and all the nations young and old come praise the lord hallelujah to our king to you we raise our voice and sing you are great God in power you are good in all your ways exalted high above the heavens Lord your name alone we praise you are great God Amen. Um, don't really have much in the way of announcements except Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, we will have uh, the, the um, carols and readings on Christmas Eve. And um, Ramey, I think we still need some people, don't we? Yeah, we do. I would love it if two more people could volunteer to read, at least two. I could take more than that. But um, 
we will have that carols and lessons will be our Christmas Eve service, and it'll be on fr uh, Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Um, so if you can attend and are willing to read, would you just lift a hand? Uh, if your camera's not on, you can send me a text. Dan, I got you, so if I already wrote you down, you're good. So far, I have um, uh, Dan Fordham, I got Tim and Lisa, and Dan and Kathy, but I could use at least two more. Anybody else willing to read on uh, Thursday night? Steve Someone waved his hand. Well, okay, thank you, Steve. I'll put you down. Awesome. Anybody else looking across? Don't mean to put you on the spot in front of everybody, but... Um, it's kind of like yelling in the sanctuary, right? Hey, can you read? Oh, sorry. <laughs> but you will be reading, so you yeah. will be on the spot. Exactly, so. exactly. <laughs> Anybody else willing? If not, we will fill in from here, but just want to give everybody an opportunity. All right, well, hopefully, even if you're not able to read, you're still able to attend. Um, we're going to do all the carols that you've been wanting to sing, or at least I hope you've been wanting to sing. We haven't done a lot of the traditional carols in church and we didn't get an opportunity to go out and carol in the neighborhood so i'm hoping that there's kind of this desire to sing silent night hark the herald angels a little town of bethlehem angels we have heard on high those kinds of songs we'll be doing all of the greatest hits if you will on uh, <laughs> thursday night so come and join us and just be, hopefully be blessed by that yeah yeah so um we'll we'll celebrate christmas as much as we possibly can um yes. looking forward to next year um when we can do it in person. So let's let's hope for that. Jesus greatest hits. Greatest Jesus hits. Greatest yeah. hits. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let, let me read. Uh, I think the benediction is is the best benediction, uh, the one we just covered. So here's here's again the end of our passage from today. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. You are great God in power, and you are good in all your ways. Exalted high above the heavens, Lord, your name alone we pray. 